We're in Matthew 21 today. I want to talk to you today about if Jesus were your landlord. If Jesus were your landlord. Matthew 21, you probably are thinking, well, if Jesus is my landlord, I wouldn't be living what I'm living in now. <laughs> and you're probably right. But Matthew 21, let's begin in verse 33. I'm going to go halfway through where we're going to end up. I'm going to end up in verse 46, but we'll go about halfway through and, and pause and make sure we understand the groundings there. So Jesus uh, is going to share another parable with them, so he gives them that alert, saying, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants. Anytime I'm thinking wine press, I go back to that Lucille Ball episode when she, <laughs> when she was trodden those grapes with Ethel. You remember that? Uh, YouTube. You'll need to go back there. All right, let me go back. <laughs> there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, here comes, or here is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now notice Jesus begins the parable with just simply a man who has a house and some land. There's not a crop, there's not a field planted, there's not a vineyard, there's just a man and the land. But this man wanted more than the land, he wanted the land to bear fruit. And you and I think the same way, don't we? If you have a house and you have a little piece of land... You don't want just the land, you want the grass in the land, you want flowers on the land, and you might even want trees on the land. If you're like me, you want trees that bear forth fruit. There's something about that that just is akin to us when we're reading about this man. Most all of us want that. Now, we, we might not want to keep it up and maintain it, but we, most all of us want that, and I think that's because we're made in the image of God, and that's just like God. God wants land. He owns land, he owns all the land in all the world of all the universes, but he doesn't just want the land, he wants the produce from the land. And so he makes man and he brings to man a partner and he says to mankind, you come in my land and you nurture and you cultivate and you manage well the land and you will receive forth the fruit from the land. So there's something about this that is just perfectly in sync with creation and certainly Jesus being the creator uh, understands the heart of all this, so he's just sharing the story of, about this man who has some land and wants a harvest. Now, the man in the story is a representative of God, for God certainly has the earth and he wants it to produce something because he's that kind of God. He's the kind of God who could take a, something barren and bring something from it. 
He takes something that's empty and he fills it. He takes nothingness and he speaks everything into it. He's just that kind of God. And, and he does that in the world. He does that in our lives as well. He took me as an eight-year-old boy who had very little to offer, if anything at all, and he began to speak something into me, began to bring me to a place of fruitfulness, of, of a, a place where he could bring forth life. And as, as an eight-year-old boy, I came to know Jesus Christ, and he brought life into me and spiritual life that still is vivaciously lived in me to this day and until the day that I breathe my last. That's just the kind of God we serve. He'll do that in you. Some of you might be in the most barren place of your life right now. I want you to know that God will bring forth life in your barrenness. He'll bring forth life in your emptiness. He will fill you. That's the God we serve. He takes nothing and he brings splendidness out of it. That's the whole creation event. God, as the rightful preacher said, stepped out of eternity into nothing, spoke something, and brought about everything. It's God's way, and certainly the, the parable here is sharing this. So there's a man who is a representative of God, and there's a people in this story that represents Israel. Vineyard in the story is where Israel has been placed. It's a nation that is meant to bear fruit and life to all the other nations. That was their purpose, that they would have life and that they would produce fruit. And in that producing of fruit, there would be a great blessing for all the nations. That's God's intent for Israel. However, before Israel became a fruitful nation, there was only one couple, and they were elderly in age, well advanced past childbearing years, and, and the woman was barren. But they were clinging to a promise, a promise that God gave to them, and the promise was, of the two of you, I will make a nation. He said it specifically of the man, I will make a nation out of you, Abraham. And uh, from your togetherness, you and Sarah, I will produce a nation. Here we are again, God creating and bringing forth life from that which is barren. But they were clinging to that promise and God certainly satisfied the promise. So here we are 18 centuries later from the promise being made to Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus is speaking to the people who are now the leaders of that nation who came from Abraham and Sarah, from the barrenness that God's brought forth life in them. And he's speaking to the leaders there, and he's saying to them, you are like tenants in my land using my resources, but I find you not very resourceful. In fact, I find you the opposite of that. I find you very greedy. And when I've come to bring to myself what belongs to me, you killed and maimed and wounded and imprisoned my servants. So Jesus tells this narrative in a story form. He says the landowner sends out his servants to go get the rent. And the rent in the day of Jesus was pretty easy. It's I'll own the land, I'll have the resources, I'll let you use the land and the resources, but I'm going to want a dividend out of that. For Jesus, it was, uh, in the story, it was about 50%. It was not uncommon for the tenants to give 50% of the produce to the landowner, to, to the landlord. And so Jesus is saying to them in this story that he came to get what was his, and they wounded him, his servants. They wounded them and killed them and stoned them. 
the servant, uh, after they were dead, the word got back to the landowner and he said, I know, I'll do it again, I'll send more. And they'll listen to my servants this time. But even though he sent more, they destroyed them as well. And so the landowner says, I know what I'll do, I'll send my son. Surely they'll honor my son and they'll give me what's due. But as you know, they didn't honor the son, they dishonored him and they took him outside of the vineyard in the story and took Jesus outside of Jerusalem and they killed the servant and they killed the son in the same way. So Jesus is sharing this narrative with them, saying that this is what uh, I have been moving towards all this while. And, and here he was in their presence. Now you're going to have to get sort of the, the groundings, if you will, of this narrative for it to really be understood in its entirety for us today and for the people in Jesus' day. And the first thing that we have to come to conclusion about is what Jesus has done Jesus is the landowner who has owned the land and has made a considerable investment in it. In fact, in the story, it's the man who planted the, planted the vineyard. It's the man who fenced around the vineyard. He dug the press. He put the watchtower up for its safety and security, and then he leased it out. So this is all that is transpiring in this place. Certainly, the owner is the owner of it all. The land is his, all the resources of his, all the improvements of his are his, and all the productivity should belong to him. So it's true and right for him to hold the accountant, or excuse me, the tenants accountable for what they are bringing in. It's common in Jesus' day to have that done. Now, the Lord's story kind of shifts, if you notice. It moves away from the land and it moves towards the evil tenants who are on the land, who are greedy and who are murderous. But the story begins with the man, and the story is going to end with the man as well. That's a rhythm that God brings into the Word for us. It's a rhythm that you and I must understand. If there's ever anybody in this place who is going to recount my life once it's over with, and you recount the days of my life, don't begin on July 22nd, 1965 when I was born. And that is not when my life and my story began. Because the story doesn't begin with me. The story always begins with God. The story doesn't begin with you either. You say, well, it's my life, Brandy. I'm living out my life. The story's got to belong to me. It's got to be from my beginning. Oh, no. You understand that you came into the story of God. For God was in the beginning. In the beginning, God created, right? So our story always begins with God, and the story always ends with Him. Same way in the narrative that Jesus is sharing. There was a man, and in the end, the man is still holding true. And this, we know that our story begins with God, and it ends with God, for we are all going to give an account to God. So notice that God is in the central part of this narrative. He's in the central part of our narrative as well. That God's, our life story centers in God's story. That's the way God has crafted this to be. He was from the beginning and he will be all the way through eternity as well. Jesus said it well himself when he said, I am the Alpha, that's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I'm the Omega, which is the ending of the alphabet. I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last, he says. So you and I are somewhere in the midst of that. The story begins and ends with God. Now you say, well, Randy, what does that have to do with this parable? Well, understanding the sovereign position of God 
is absolutely essential for us, us to understand our place in this world. And honestly, the, the people, the leaders of Israel, failed to get that. They failed to understand the sovereignty of God and the, the Son of God who is standing before them. And because they failed to see that, they saw the world wrongly and they made application in the world wrongly. And they made some decisions that were absolutely horrendous. For you and me, we must understand God's sovereign position and Jesus rightfully seated on the throne in heaven and in the throne of our heart for us to really engage to the significance that God has pre-planned for us. So we need to view our life in that way. Think for a moment of all that God has entrusted to us in his sovereignty. He's entrusted things to us. And the purpose of that is he is going to call for the harvest. He's going to call for a bounty to be given back to him. Now, here's what's really cool. If you're thinking your life is to be surrendered to God and you're going to have to give everything to God and you get nothing, you're absolutely wrong. Here's the way God does this. As the landowner sends his servants to go get his portion of the, the harvest, so God will call us forth one day. And he will call all those things that have been done in this body and he will weigh those out and all those things that are eternal, he will not only be glorified in them, but he will share those rewards with us. Here's what's really cool. Not only is your life lived in the place of God, in the presence of God with all the resources of God, God gives you the means by the empowerment of His Spirit and all that He has entrusted to you to flourish in that. He's going to call to an accounting one day and then He is going to share it back with you as a co-heir of Jesus Christ Himself. It's an amazing accomplishment that God is doing for us. He's giving us all the resources and all the propensity by which we might serve Him and do it well and then He allows us to share in that reward for all eternity in the future. It's, it's a beautiful scene. But now what has God given to you? If I were going to summarize it, I'd summarize it in four words. He's given you time, He's given you talent, He's given you possession and influence. Now you might could in, can put some other characteristics or summary statements in there, but those are four that I think pretty much equates to everything that God has entrusted to us. So it all belongs to God. He was from the beginning. He will be in the end. It all belongs to Him. He's treasuring it to us. What is He treasuring? Time. One of the big things that He's giving to us is time. 1,440 minutes every day. Now, God developed time. We didn't do that. God created time and He created the seasons. He's not limited by it, but He gave it to us. And He gives us the means by which we can make the most of time. And right now, God is encouraging us to do that. You say, well, Randy, what does that mean? That means every waking moment of our life is an opportunity to take the treasure of time and invest it as God would have us to invest it. Make decisions that you and I need to make to achieve the best use of time. Now, in our generation, maybe it's with every generation, but I know in our generation, we have a hard time with this. And it's not that we're being, I don't think we're being um, obstinate to the ways of God. I don't think we're necessarily choosing to be disobedient in the way of God. I think by and large, what Christians in the West are having trouble with is to not get in the current of the culture related to time. 
where you get up in the morning and you eat your breakfast, or maybe you eat on the run, and you're heading off to school or work or wherever it is that you go throughout the day. And then you come home and you have some dinner and you uh, have some leisurely time, maybe watch TV, look through social media, whatever it is. Then you go to bed, and you rest through the night, you get up and you do it all over again. And you, you do that Monday through Friday until you get to the weekend because you've been looking forward to the weekend. The weekend becomes, hey, this is my time. I get to do what I want, when I want, and where I want to do it. And then you come to church on Sunday, and I'm grateful for your attendance this morning and the... Uh, the faith that that communicates to me and to others around us and certainly to the Lord. This afternoon, you're going to have some more time of leisure, perhaps. You're going to go to bed at night. You're going to get up on Monday morning. And you start the cycle all over again. You see, there's just something about those 1,440 minutes every day that gets caught up in a stream, doesn't it? So you and I have to determine what we can do in the midst of that window of time every day to make the best use of that time while we're at work or while we're at school or while we're in the neighborhood? What can we do to be a minister with the time that God has given to us? Because there's coming a day where God is going to come and he's going to look for everything that has been done in this body of mine and yours and he's going to hold us to account of that and I want us to have before him a beautiful uh, harvest because of the time that we've invested as ministers. You say, well, I'm not a minister, I'm a school teacher, I'm a lawyer, I'm a nurse, or whatever it is. Oh, you minister in those places. You minister by loving God and loving people. You minister by serving the gospel, by sharing it with people. You go out of your way to meet people's needs, even above your own. That's ministry. And you do it not just for the goodness, you do it in the name of Jesus. Now, and what God will do in the, in the end of that, he's going to reward us by sharing back that treasure, that harvest. So time is a great resource that God has provided for us. Another is talent. That we've all been given talent. You have some ability or skill or means by which you can accomplish significant things, different things, good things that God has made for you to have. Talent. So you have to ask yourself, how can I use my talent and ability to serve God, His people, and others well? What has God treasured in you regarding talent? Now you, you might say, well, I don't have much talent. That's up to God. God gets to determine how much talent we have. It's His prerogative. For some, you have been given great talent. You can do amazing things. Really, I'm taken aback by some of the things that our people can do. I, I wish I had a construction mindset. I have zero. But some of you can do amazing things. God has given you talent. So are you looking for ways that you can serve God and serve others with that talent? Some of you can play beautiful instruments. Are you using that talent for the service of the kingdom of God and others? I'm grateful to our worship ministry, aren't you? that they would give themselves and talent by investing in it. Some of you are holding out. And God is saying, I've given you that talent. Use it for my glory. Some of you are great teachers. Use that for the glory of God by serving the people of God with, with your teaching ability. Some of you are great businessmen. You know how to make money. Some of you ladies know how to manage things well. Use that all for the glory of God by being servant of Jesus Christ. It's part of the treasure that he has given to you as he's resourced you for his kingdom. To be a servant. The third is possession. God has given us in really significant possessions in this life. 
And we might just need to ask, what are ways right now that I can practice generosity? How can I be generous? I'm recognizing a conversation that I'm having regularly when it comes, uh, and people are fairly um, expressive and transparent to me, and even Kay and I might struggle with this some. How can I give without it really affecting my life very much? That's not really where the Lord wants me to be, to be honest. What God is looking for is a generous spirit in me that has a real hunger to give. What God is wanting for me is not to cling to things that are temporary, that are going to be burned away, but instead release those things in order to have great harvest, spiritual harvest in those things. Uh, Kay and I give regularly to this church. In fact, a, a good chunk of our income comes right back to this church. And, and we write that check every time we're paid, and we're, we're grateful to be able to do that. And we give out of our savings as well, what God has treasured to us. We want to give out of that as well. We want to be generous in nature. But what God really is looking for is an anticipation for that giving. How can I look for the opportunity to be generous? How can I really look for opportunity to be investing so that there might be a great uh, harvest to come in the day of the future? How can I be a better giver a joyful giver. If all things belong to God and are for Him, by Him, then I certainly need to be giving in an open and expressive way with joy. And the fourth thing that we might use as a summary is our influence, that God has given us a measure of influence. People that are around us in work, in school, in our neighborhood, our friendship, maybe it's the position you have at work or in your social environments, God has given to you influence. And if you're not careful, you'll think the influence is not kingdom-minded, but it really is. Where God has given you influence to represent Christ, do it well. And I think he's asking, to whom has the Holy Spirit placed in your influence that you ought to be gospel-moving towards, gospel-driven, have a gospel impact, share the message of Jesus Christ with other people. Make known the gospel. That is, to be a witness so I think this is what God has called us to. He's saying to you and me, I own Etowah County. I own the place where you work. I own the school you attend. And I've given to you my resources so that you might have a bountiful harvest there. And I'm going to call to an accounting one day, and I want to share back a portion as a joint heir with my son Jesus. Are you, are you and I, are we living in that way with that mindset? I pray that the Lord would help us to do that, to live in, in an eager way, anticipating what he's doing. So now Jesus shared this parable. He was sharing it with people who failed to do that. They had a self-reliant, self-centered way about them. They failed to see what the kingdom of God was really about. They failed to engage in the kingdom of God and certainly failed the king of the kingdom of God. So we have to ask ourselves, are we doing well in that place? So as you know, the servant was sent to go get the rent, and they killed the servant. And they stoned the servant, and they beat the servant. Is Jesus telling them about what they did to Jeremiah, who they beat? Of John the Baptist, who they murdered? And of others, they stoned and imprisoned. He's telling of the account, but then he tells about the son the landowner sent 
And not only did they disrespect him, they took him out of the vineyard and they murdered him with the hopes of getting the inheritance. Now, in the day of Jesus, that was the law. You know, we say that um, ownership is nine-tenths possession. And certainly that's the way it was in the first century. If there was not an heir and a landowner died, whoever was in possession of the land when he died, they got the land. So you see here, the leaders of Israel were really wanting the kingdom for themselves. They really wanted the gain for themselves. They weren't really interested in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. They wanted it all for themselves. Now Jesus took that parable and he expressed it to them and then he called them on the carpet by asking them a question. Look with me as he asked in a very direct way, verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants, those who killed his son? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you read the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard this, his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So Jesus asked, what will the, owners, the owner do to the tenants? And his response was, from these leaders that they were declaring is, well, they're going to get their fate. Their rejection of the son is going to cost them their life. And of course, Jesus is prophetically speaking about his own life about these people who are standing before him. And he's making declaration to that. But now look in verse 43. Certainly we recognize that the kingdom and its uh, resources are being taken away from the leaders of Israel, representing the nation, and it's going to be given to someone else. Verse 43, Therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Now that statement is seismic. I know you and I might not grab hold of that, but it really is a seismic statement. For Israel was meant to be the leading nation spiritually among the world. God had purposed to raise up Israel to bear the light of His glory throughout all the nations of the world. It was Israel by whom all the nations would be blessed. But God is saying to them through His Son, I'm taking that away from you. And I'm going to give it to another people. Who is this other people? Well, you might say it's the Gentiles. Well, you're only halfway right. What God was going to do is going to take it away from that nation that had been rebellious and, and disregarded the, the way and the, and the word of God. And he's going to give it to an altogether new created race. He's going to give it to a holy nation. He's going to give it to a royal people. He's going to give it to a people belonging to him. And what he's going to do is going to make a new race from Jews and Gentiles alike who are servants and followers of Jesus Christ and yield their allegiance to him. And my friends, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are that group. God has taken the treasure 
of his presence, of his resources, and given it to us. And said to us to manage it well. And when he returns, we will share with him in the harvest. What a radical exchange that was. The race didn't matter. The nationality didn't matter. The skin color didn't matter. The social standing didn't matter. Faith in Christ alone is all that matters. So the spiritual leading of the world would no longer be from the people of Israel, no longer be of the priests, the prophets of Israel. It would be of a new people that God had chosen through Christ Jesus. And you and I are the new tenants of the kingdom of God. We're given the resources of God and trusted that we will bring a bountiful harvest to Him. So could I ask you, as I ask myself, are we managing as tenants the kingdom resources and the kingdom of God? Are we managing that well? If you're not careful, you'll segment your life this is my life in the world, and this is my life as a Christian. And what God is saying is, no, no, no. You need to see your life jointly as being in the kingdom of God. A kingdom that belongs to Him with resources that have been entrusted to us by Him. And when we see that, then we'll start to use time and talent and possession and influence altogether differently. Now, how do we do that? Let me bring it down to these two points. The first is we do it with the right attitude. That our attitude is shifted. That we see life is not about us, not about our gain and our glory. That's the problem for the leaders in Israel. That's what they had. But the right attitude is about serving the king and taking all that he has given to us in time, talent, possession, and influence and using it according to the goodness for the king and believe that he is going to come again, and he, we are going to be able to offer all that harvest to him. And then in return, he will share it right back with us as a joint heir, as a son or daughter of his, with Christ Jesus. It's the right attitude to have. It's not, oh, this is my duty, or this is my responsibility. It's more than that. It's this is my life. This is my life in the story of God. What God chose to do to bring out of barrenness life and abundance in me, to give me resources that I might do something that is eternal and not just something that's temporary, to honor something greater than myself that will last for all eternity, to have the right attitude. And the secondly is to be on the right mission. Now, if you're in the culture current, the right mission is about position and power and possession. But that's not our mission. Our mission is not to amass more stuff that's going to be burned away one day. Our mission is not to have greater wealth and, and greater stuff. Our mission is to use wealth and stuff for the glory of God that He shares with us. So what you have, use it for God's honor and for God's glory, and He will in turn share back with you a bounty. Is your attitude and your mission coinciding with that of Jesus? What a difference it can make. Listen, the people in this room, the amount of time, talent, possession, and influence you have can radically change this area. But it's going to take each of us with the right attitude and with the right mission. I'm encouraged that God has placed us in this 
room together. That God has called us together. God has resourced us. I'm grateful that his presence is with us. Let us be found faithful in all that he's given to us. Let's pray together. So, Lord, help us, I pray, as this is a time in which your gospel needs to be advancing, your kingdom reaching the outer reaches of the earth. I pray, Lord, that the influence that you have given to us and the time and the treasure and the possession that you've given would be used well for the harvest season is upon it. And I pray, Lord, that every student and every employee and every business owner, every retiree would see life as an opportunity to bring in the harvest for Christ, that we might share in that bounty together. Lord, let it be our call and let it be our choice. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, is there anything that you and God need to talk about relative to His sovereignty, His authority over us? Anything the Spirit of God is calling attention to regarding time or your talent or your possessions or your influence? Reminding you that those are resources that belong to Him and they're coming back to Him one day. Anything that you need to respond to Him, just do that now. For Lord, we hear your challenge and we hear your call and command. We know, Lord, beyond duty, it's our privilege to serve you and your kingdom as a new people, as a chosen generation. So, Father, find us faithful with whatever measure you have given to us. Find us faithful in that. And I pray in the end that Jesus would be glorified in the midst. In this I pray in his name. Amen.